0: All right, thanks for tuning in to the first ever episode of The Holtcast. My name's Josh, and we'll be talking through in this first ever episode. A few things. uh, First things first, we're going to talk about uh, the government's ongoing response to the COVID-19 epidemic, such as it is. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the fact that video games are going to cost like 70 quid uh, in the near, not too distant future, which isn't ideal. And uh, finally, we're going to take a look at what's happening um in the world beyond just you know the, the pandemic and, and all the rest of it we're going to try and get into sort of the, the second order events so you've got things like restaurants coming back and um most importantly like movie theaters cinemas are they going to open what's that going to be like um yeah so we'll uh, take a look at all of that uh, and if there's anything left over at the end um we'll cover that as well So yeah, I want to talk quickly about the, the government's ongoing response and the mini um, budget update or the mini treasury update that we got uh, this week. It's kind of detailed. I'm going to make one thing abundantly clear right now. I don't really know what stamp duty is. Like, I have actually bought a home and I still don't really understand what stamp duty actually is, other than this weird admin fee that. Get like involved in when you buy a house, so I'm not going to worry too much about that. Um, I'm more I'm more interested in the, the restaurants, the the vouchers or the discount system that they sort of announce. And it's a little bit funny because obviously uh, <laughs> this is i going to make me sound like a complete uh, prat, but ten pounds isn't a lot of money. It just isn't, and even if it's per head, what does that really accomplish? Is that going to be enough to get people out and spending money when a lot of people don't? Because because the problem is, yeah, I can say £10 isn't enough and it makes me sound a bit entitled and a bit privileged or whatever, which is all true. I don't dispute any part of that. But equally, like people are out of work. Um, those people that are in work are going to be concerned. They're going to be very, uh, anxious about their livelihoods, especially if they work in um, sectors where there's been already a bit of a drop off. Some some sectors have been largely unaffected, and those people probably will find this to be quite helpful. But we're talking about the vast majority of, of people. I don't think anyone feels completely secure in what they're doing at the moment. You know, even if you are work for a business. Or even if you 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 work for an organisation within a sector that hasn't hasn't had the, the the impact from COVID as as a lot of others have, you're still going to be conscious that we're living in an, in uncertain times and in an era when it seems relatively straightforward for large companies to 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 make wholesale redundancies with very little in the way of protections and rights for for the workers to prevent themselves from being affected by those. So the the idea that people are going to be like, okay, I get £10 off. I best go out and spend, you know, what is still in a significant amount of money on, a, on a, a meal, a night out, really, seems to me a little bit. I'm not sure it's going to work in the way that they want it to work, which is to get the vast majority of people out about becoming more confident, becoming more. Um, used to the idea of going back into the outside world and mingling amongst people that they don't know but it's i think what's strange for me is that one year you know, okay 10 pounds isn't a lot of money and even if you go down the, the chain now even if you go down to the the more affordable um end of the spectrum if you like of restaurants 10 pounds still isn't a lot of money like for instance nando's used to be when I, well, nando's these days is a bit strange but back in the day it used to be a really really affordable option and 10 pounds probably would have got you you know, a decent discount. That would have been a lot of money off at Nando's and it would have been a great incentive to, to go down and have a, look and have a night out or, or a meal out with your friends. These days, £10 at Nando's doesn't go very far. And that's, you know, that's, I'm assuming that's the kind of restaurant that they're really trying to protect is these ones, these big chains that employ a lot of people up and down the country. Um, but I... I did a, a quick straw poll on on the Holt.UK's Instagram page uh, asking, you know, is £10 enough to get you out um, for a meal in August? And in the end, I think it was something like a 60-40 split in favour of of it not being enough. Now, on the one hand, yeah, okay, people answering that might just feel that £10 isn't, isn't a lot of money. Um, it doesn't tell you, you know, why they said no. They might just not be very confident at all. It wouldn't matter how much money they were offered to go out, those sorts of things. But I just thought it was interesting to take the temperature of... Um, those people and asked them straight up, like, is that enough money? And they said no. Well, the majority said no. So that kind of underlined what my initial um, instinct for that, which was that it, I really don't think it's going to be enough. And obviously, the government haven't got infinite money. They can't just go and promise everyone, you know, 20 quid ahead or whatever and make a bit of a farce out of the whole thing. I understand that. But at the same time, I'm not sure it was ever really the right decision. In the, in the build up to the announcement, Dishy Rishi said that, you know, this is an unprecedented and original and innovative approach from the government to, to do something that's never been done in the United Kingdom before. But for me, it was a complete non-starter. Um, it just it just wasn't the right way to approach it. There was In, in America, they, they take a slightly different approach to economic stimulus in that they just give everybody $1,500 and say, go on, get out there and spend it. The problem with that is most people well most people a significant number of people just put it in the bank um save it up which does nothing to stimulate growth um but even that is still a confidence boost to people if you have suddenly have 1500 pounds to put in the, or let's say it was 1000 pounds um to put into the bank it's still it's still that is still a confidence um booster for your average person because you know 1000 pounds suddenly going into your bank account It's very different in terms of what it does to your self-esteem, what it does to your financial situation in terms of shoring things up a little bit. It may be enough for certain people to pay off things like credit card bills that they probably um, racked up during the during the lockdown, those sorts of things. And I think that would be it would also be hilarious to see this country react to everyone giving a a significant sum of money, regardless of who you are. but I do think there's a logic to it. I think enough people would go out and spend it. They'd spend it on things like technology, they'd spend it on holidays, they'd spend it on which, you know, I'm still waiting to see. They talk about the hospitality sector re- receiving a stimulus um, through targeted VAD, uh, VAT reductions, but, or VAT holidays, I can't remember what, which way around they said it. Which, which may well do the trick, I, I, I don't know enough about that. Um, but I still think if everyone was just given cash, they could go out and they could go and make a choice and they could stimulate all aspects of the economy, including um, areas that we're looking at soon, like like movie theaters when they not well at, when they do reopen. Um, they're they're a huge uh, employer, especially of young people. So it seems strange to me that we don't have um, a more. Uh, what I would like to think of as a more a broader approach, because I'm speaking somewhat selfishly, because actually, ten pounds a head for for meals and things like that does nothing for my uh, economic situation. It does nothing for my confidence in going outside. I'm I'm someone who is more concerned about going outside than perhaps other people. I, I don't like the idea of mingling amongst people. To be perfectly honest, I don't like the idea of doing that anyway. But let's uh, let's focus on the positives. I, I don't want to go out and, and mingle amongst people who may not have been taking all of the necessary precautions um, just for the sake of £10 off a, a meal, which I don't need. Um, it, it just it just doesn't seem to me a very joined-up approach to trying to stimulate the economy. So I suppose in some sense, kudos for them for trying. Um, it may be a success. I'm not saying it won't be. I'm just saying it wouldn't have been the way that I would have approached it. Um, I think... I think um, desperate times really do call for desperate measures or, or certainly much more um, extreme and, and innovative and original measures and I think a direct credit stimulus for everyone in the country would have been the way to do that because it it changes the conversation as well it means that people can do with it what they want but the conversation comes about how people are going to use it and some people will go out and, and have a, you know, a great night out some people will holiday and some people will buy a television but these are all aspects of the economy that need stimuli. The, the, these aren't separate I don't understand this idea of targeted st- stimulus All areas of the economy are completely connected doesn't matter how you look at it. It, doesn't, you can't, it it doesn't make sense to try and stimulate one area of the economy over another. Stimulate confidence in all markets and you will see a much quicker rebound from the slowdown the contraction that happened during the lockdown So that was my uh, that was my take on on that. And as I say, it was backed up a little bit by the by the quick poll that we did on on the Instagram page. But we'll definitely, obviously, when we get into to um, August, we'll have a much clearer idea of how effective that um, that policy was. Um, and it'd be very interesting to see the results. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was this report that's been circulating um, this week that the Two K Games, the the company behind the NBA Two K series, um, will be selling the next iteration of their game on the next generation consoles um, for approximately about ten dollars more um, than the last we've come to expect in the last few years um to pay for video games Well, people are calling it the 70 dollars video game so for those of you um who haven't (laughs) haven't had to buy a game in a while they've been roughly the same kind of price for the last 15 years really i haven't i pay between usually between 40 and 50 pounds for a game depending on the the status of the game you know am i buying it first hand when it first comes out i think sometimes it's up to about 55 pounds i think typically um, but but that's usually the, the high end. Obviously, then there's the special editions, limited editions, all those sorts of things where you would pay more um, for those. But for the core standard version of the game, um, yeah, 40, 55 pounds is the upper limit. So obviously, the, the, the first sort of company really to come out and say, well, we're gonna be selling it at this price point, and $70, speaking you know if we translating that into pounds sterling with with talking more perhaps 60 65 pounds i think let's say that's for the standard edition game though those of you who buy games you know, and and may have seen the story will probably be quite um understandably upset by this it's, it's a huge amount of money games are already very expensive always have been um especially yeah. because they're often named at um Kids or younger people who may not have a huge amount of disposable income, but even for you know an adult like me who still plays games, I I find that often I have to think twice about it because if I'm paying fifty pounds for a game or fifty-five pounds for a game, it's I can't justify that unless it's something I'm desperate for. I really, really can't be buying first-party, uh, sorry, first-hand games regularly. Especially when it comes to October, November. If they're fifty five pounds a throw, you'd be bankrupt after, you know, a couple of weeks. So the idea that they're gonna go up in price to and, and it's quite a that's quite a dramatic increase. Ten dollars is, you know, is to up to, to seventy dollars for a, a video game. Um is that is quite a significant um event inflection point you know we're here now we're, we're here at, at this point where we're talking about spending that sort of money on a new game but i'm kind of interested. that's sort of an aside as being a bit unfair on the consumer i'm kind of interested to know why that's happened um because as i say games have been steadily or they've been increasing you know you used to be able to get them 40 pounds now you don't tend to see games that um retail for for that much they tend to be for for more like 45 50 but there haven't there hasn't been a huge amount of movement in that since um, in that I'd say in the last 15 years so while all of a sudden that we've seen a you know a ten a ten dollar or a 10 pound increase um, seemingly overnight the, the the key distinction now being the, the cross generation you know, we we're moving into a new generation of console games and um the first publisher, you know, and I suspect not the last, have said, well, this is how much we're going to be charging. I did hear one theory that I think is the one that I agree with the most. And the in the last few years, the video game community, if it can be called such a thing, has become increasingly conscious of the development practice, development. Um I'm not quite sure what the word is it's it's a facet of the development process called the crunch, which is essentially where a video game is is rushed out of the door um in the last few months before it's slated release date um where the development team work day and night to get the game finished and it varies in how it looks like there the stories that that emerge from these development companies do are quite different sometimes in what the what the crunch actually looks like but the the upshot is they work long hours many many days in a row trying to make sure that the game is ready for release um as it's as its release date looms so and there's been some high profile games i think rockstar's um red dead redemption 2 was probably the most um high profile story regarding the crunch um re- prior to its release uh I, it's a very interesting conversation to be had anyone who's got a job where there's time pressures will know that, that some some weeks and some days you just work flat out and sometimes it's very difficult um, and ultimately you know you do what you need to do to make sure that the work gets done and there's something human about that there's something very um, almost rewarding in making sure that you know you, you do everything you possibly can to ensure that the work that you do is at the highest possible standard however It is clear that that this becomes something that is 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 expected it's something that is um not accounted for properly in terms of remuneration of staff or so for instance if i you know just speaking um in in plain terms if if you or i did a piece of work where we we worked exceptionally hard for exceptionally long amount of time to, to to deliver a really fantastic piece of work um we would expect that there, that there would be some kind of um, reciprocation from from the, the, our employers as acknowledgement of the work we've done. And I think that that probably does happen. I think that there's, there's good people who work in these companies. They're not evil slave drivers. I think they're just people who are trying to get the work done. The problem is when it becomes expected, if you, it's just part of the development process. There's no way around it. These, these are the kind of excuses that we hear. And I don't, I don't buy that. Not, not now that games you know cost millions of, of, of pounds to make and they they generate a hundred times that in revenue for the for the employees it's clear now that games there is enough money there is enough um, there are enough people there is enough time that the games do not need to be made in this way um, and I think I'm hoping that the developers and the publishers have come to realize that and the, the response is well we, we need to make profit ultimately their responsibilities to their shareholders to their, their employees to make sure that the, the company is running in a way that generates revenue and profit i understand that i'm not not naive so what they have said is okay well if we're going to start easing off on on staff you know the requirements that we we have for staff to complete these these games on time and and if we're going to try and mitigate the worst aspects of of crunch and we want to do so in a way that, that ensures that the standard, the high standards are still kept. We're probably gonna to have to employ more people. That is gonna be how it's gonna work. And then so obviously the production cost will increase and therefore the, the the price of the of the product must increase as well. And that is a really interesting one because that is the only explanation that I would I would listen to um, and, and understand and probably um buy if you if you forgive the expression. That is that, that. If if it means that the developers get the time they need, they don't have their um, you know non-fiduciary uh, benefits cut. So in the sense that, they, you know, they're not having to give up holiday or their weekends or their free time and those sorts of things, and they and they still get to put together something that they can be proud of and they want to release. Um, but it just means they've got more help, more colleagues, more more talent within the team, um, and less of a less of a mad rush in the months before release. Then I will happily spend seventy. You know, what what we $70, maybe sixty-five pounds on a new game. Um I think that is a, a price worth paying. I appreciate that is a privileged position to take. Not everyone will be able to afford it. And I hope that the market finds some way of accommodating for everyone. I don't know what how that will look or how that would work. Um it's unfortunate games games. People who play games come in all shapes and sizes these days from every background you can think of. And a lot of them are children and their parents do not have a huge amount of money to throw around. Um, and if they're gonna be asking to pay seventy pounds or sixty five pounds for a game, they're just not gonna be able to afford it. And I think the video game publishers, the, the, the you know, the, the people that make these decisions need to need to be very conscious of that. We do oddly live in an era where games are now more expensive than they've ever been with this announcement from NBA um, but also a lot of them are free so it's very strange you know Fortnite, Modern Warfare, Warzone, all these kind of Apex Legends a lot of these games that are very popular with kids are free so it's perhaps not quite as as worrying as all that but but the NBA 2K series is very popular amongst a lot of people um, who are from all different backgrounds and it would be a shame if all of a sudden only some of them could play or you know they had they were forced to go and play last year's version, or or they could go and play a free game that perhaps they didn't care about. It just seems like a lot of people could potentially be left out um, by this decision um, to sell games at a price point that seems to be very steep. But like I say, if it's because it means that the, the developers are going to the product, the actual production team are going to get the staffing and the support and the benefits that they need to, or then that they deserve for the for the um, high quality. Um, games that they make, then then so be it. So it's an interesting one to think about. I think when people see the headline, they kind of react and think, "Oh God, seventy dollars for a video game—that's horrific." But I do think that there is there is method behind the madness. Uh, just thinking about what could potentially do be done to to at least to explain this is that maybe perhaps the developers and publishers should publish their um, financial information that relates to this price increase. Say, look, this is where the margins are. It costs us this much to make these games. If we're going to employ all these extra people, and then so we have to we have to charge at this price point in order to to make money from from selling the games. It's that simple. Um, because then at least we'll be able to see it. Because obviously the assumption is that some people just think, oh, they're just greedy, and they just want to make more money, and this is them just playing on the fact that people will happily spend more money, or, or a lot of people anyway will suddenly spend more money on these games, and. Um, I hope that that is not what's happening. Um, I may be, back, may be naive in thinking that I actually don't think that is what's happening, um, but we shall see. Okay, last thing I wanna to talk to you today is Android 11 beta. Um, I've been using the beta now since it was released, the development beta, um, it's been released for a few months now. And it's interesting to get a little sneak peek into the future of Android. Those of you with iOS devices and iPhones, whatever, can switch off now because um, this won't interest you at all. But those of us who've got Pixels and Samsungs and all this sort of thing, we, we, I've had a little bit of a sneak peek at the, um, what Android's going to look like. And I, I do have some um, feelings on it. That, to, to be perfectly honest, there aren't a huge number of new um features on the on on Android heading into Android 11. Um, I I found that the first version of the development beta was very buggy so it was very difficult to kind of really kind of get get a feel for how much it was um, improved or what extra features there were. because it was just so hard to use, and development beta's are—I well. should never put it on my um, my main um, main phone because you just can't. I had this weird bug where every time someone rang me, the screen would just start flashing, and I couldn't hang up. And I had visions of accidentally calling someone, you know, prick, when I should have just hung up. Um, but you know, uh, thankfully, it didn't happen. At least I'm not aware that it did. So what are the, um, what are the, the features that, since because they did a, a second stability update a couple of days ago, uh, which makes a big difference. It's, it's now a lot more easy to use. I can actually stand to look at my phone and it won't just break on me. Um, one big thing, that, <laughs> there hasn't been a native screen recording app on um, Android phones for some time, well, until now. Um, so I think Samsung have a version of it. i am not used Samsung phone, so I don't know. But I think you have, there's like a Samsung screen recording app you can use. So those of you who've been using Samsung probably won't be that bothered about this. But native screen recording um, is something that I don't know if I use very much. I, I, it's, it's strange, because what I probably should have done is a video showing off the new features of, of Android and put it on the site using the native screen recording. And um, that probably would have been smart. And I may, I may still do that at some point. Um, but you can, you can capture screen and you can capture audio. So for those of you who, who do video production or, or whatever and you want a quick demo from your phone, I use it for work. so we have you know we have um, software that um, we need to produce tutorials for um, and, and a bit native screen capturing so that I can just do a quick demo on my phone and then upload it onto our company um, site it is really handy. So um, yeah, that is native screen recording definitely in, um, useful. Uh, the, the supposedly the touch sensitivity is increased. Uh, this is probably more interesting for anyone that uses a screen protector. Um, you, I think, I don't know if you can toggle it. I think it, it's yeah, you can. Yeah, just checking now. You can. So you, there's an increased touch sensitivity option in the settings. So what it does is just make it so much more uh, responsive. So for people who don't use a screen protector, you probably won't need it. But for anyone who does. Especially if it's a slightly thicker one, if you're a bit worried about damaging your phone on Android, um, you can increase that sensitivity, um, which is pretty handy. Um, and lastly, the, the 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 feature that I kind of come and go on how useful this is or how much I actually want it, the auto-revoke app permissions. So this is kind of handy, I suppose, if you have a phone with a large amount of storage on it and you download a lot of apps and you do a lot of file and forget with with apps you use them and then you forget but you, you know delete them. I only have a 64 gig um pixel four so I don't I tend to be quite uh, judicious with with the apps that I delete, i download them and if I'm not using them I'll delete them simply because I don't have enough space. But if you did have a large um large storage and you did have a lot of apps on here, this is a useful setting to so basically anything that you've not used for a while has all its permissions revoked just means that you can be a bit more um, secure in terms of saying, okay, well, you know, I haven't looked at this happening, but it's not not secretly recording my data, or it doesn't secretly have access to my files or my microphone or my camera or anything like that. It's not a huge thing, but it's a good good bit of peace of mind in in an era where I know a lot of people are a lot more conscious of those things now. Um, Apart from that, there's a a lot of improvements Things like screenshots um, are now a bit easier. I actually, I'm not crazy about this. So I think some people might be. You don't now hold down the power button to take a screenshot. Not the power button. Um, was it the power button? Before? I can't even remember. I've been using this beta now for long enough. That I can't even remember. But instead now what you do is you kind of use the gestures to push the screen up and then the screenshot button is there um, in the bottom left-hand corner. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that bothered about it. I don't i don't really i prefer the screenshot option where you could bring up the the menu um, and take the screenshot that way these days I just do um, okay google take a screenshot um which obviously having said that now my phone is take a screenshot um but apart from that um there's there's the minimal things things like airplane mode not not turning your bluetooth off if you have a wearable, if you have a, a watch or whatever, that's kind of handy because it means you don't lose that connection between your phone and your watch every time. Or if you have got headphones in, um, it doesn't just pressing airplane mode doesn't, doesn't knock your headphones off. Those sorts of things. Again, I don't know how many there'll be like four people that are like, oh my god, thank you so much for that, but the rest of us are quite um, quite happy. Uh, there's some Pixel Four specific stuff um, for the for the yeah for the handful of other people on Earth that, that own Pixel Fours. Um, again, not not a huge amount in here. Some of you may remember that the face unlock um, <laughs> would work with your eyes closed when it it first launched. Um, it's not not a big thing, but I think it's a security concern for a lot of people that that you can have you can have your face unlock with your iPhone, um, your iPhone with your eyes closed. <laughs> so slip their tongue. Um, but yeah. The, and there's some motion sense stuff, but if you're still using motion sense on the Pixel 4, then you've got more patience than me, so fair play to you. So that's it really. Um, that's it for the Android 11 beta. Not a huge amount in there. It's quicker, it's more responsive. The Files app is useful. They momentarily changed the photo app icon for the, on photo Google photos, and then j- immediately changed it back. So that was a brief experiment. Um, we'll see what it, when it launches. I think the, the Android 11 will launch in November, October, November. That's sort the of time, um, and we'll see how many of these features get brought forwards from the beta into the um, into the full release. Screen recording's been in other betas, so we're not 100% sure if it's going to be included. Um, it's probably the most useful, the most standout feature. Um, They've included it in other betas before, and then not not brought it forward into the uh, into the full release. So we'll see. But this is uh, following the stability release in the beta. I think that they've pretty much said that these these features are going to be into the in the new version of Android when it launches. Um, so yeah, you can expect to see that. If you do want to try the beta out, um, you can do. It if you've got a Pixel phone, or there's direct downloads that are available, you can either sign up to the the um, uh, beta program directly. Um, or, as I say, that you can sideload it if you, if you know what you're doing. Um, but I would advise caution for anyone that's not um, super-duper savvy with how their phone works. Just be careful with um, any betas because, as I say, it are <laughs> nearly not my phone out of use. Um, so, yeah, word of warning there. Thank you a lot for the, uh, the first ever episode of the podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in. Um, so we'll be back. New episodes published on Friday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, speak to you again soon. Thanks again.